Welcome to the Kyperian Commentary Podcast. We have with us today Rodney Crisman, who's a professor at Liberty University School of Law. He's been there. Have you been there since the beginning, Rodney? Almost. I've been there 18 years, so I've had every class that's graduated. I had the first class when they were second year law students, so... Yeah, so been there for a very long time. Rodney yep. has also been a, a pastor in the past and has done a whole lot of thinking on uh, application of biblical law to our world today. So I'm excited to get to talk to him. And if you have never heard of him, this is a time to, to hear some good stuff. So uh, Rodney, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here. So I uh, just wanted to talk to you a little bit today uh, about several cases that you have an interest in. But I also wanted to ask the question right up front. Just a few weeks ago, we had Rick Boyer on here, who's another lawyer. Uh, it seems like there are a whole lot of lawyers who have Calvinistic reformed leanings, starting with John Calvin himself. Uh, why do you think we reformed folks like the law so much? Yeah, well, Rick is a former student of mine, uh, so uh, I had him as a student at the law school years years ago, so good friend of mine as well. Um, yeah, lawyers are a, a, kind of a mixed bag in church history. I agree. Uh, John Calvin, uh, you know, trained as a lawyer. Luther uh, trained for a period of time to be a lawyer. Um, but yeah, we've got some other lawyers, and I, I guess maybe we won't just necessarily name any, you can name them if you want to, but we can probably think of a few uh, more modern American lawyers who are or famous Christians that I maybe not, uh, you know, not, not in the reform camp and not people I would be quite as proud of. Uh, but I think the, the, I think lawyers are drawn, um, to, to, uh, maybe a, a reform view of, of the law and theology. Uh, and I think the systemization uh, probably uh, it, it tends tends to attract lawyers thinking systematically about these things. Probably the logical just approach uh, to some issues of theology um, as well. Um, I think that probably ends up attracting a lot of legal thinkers and lawyers to to that approach uh, to the, sort of the reformed approach in general. Um, probably yeah. so. We have a whole lot of lawyers and a whole lot of engineers in our church, so that kind of yeah, tracks. <laughs> the systematic yeah. thinking. Um, so yeah. I wanted to ask you, since you've been teaching at a Christian law school for so long, uh, what are some particular challenges that Christian law schools are facing in our current crazy times uh, culturally? Yeah. And, and what can a Christian law school student expect if they want to go into the practice of law today? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. And um uh, as as these things work a lot of times in society, often um, lawyers and doctors. So so capturing the professions is a way to try to really capture and impact the culture on these issues. And uh, I would say the biggest challenge, no doubt, is sexual orientation, gender identity, and now uh, you know these phrases keep changing. Uh, uh, it's gender expression now is one of the one of the big phrases on that and um this this poses a particular challenge to christian law schools um because of the nature of the way accrediting bodies work so accrediting bodies are able to expect and that's the american bar association is the accrediting body through the department of education um uh they uh uh, they they require certain things. They have these standards that law schools have to live up to. And one of them has to do with non-discrimination policy. 
And honestly, this is an area that is uh, significantly unsettled. Um, the ABA uh, now expects uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. They expect that to all be covered um, by a law school's non-discrimination policy. Um, and they, those standards also provide exceptions for um, uh, schools with a religious mission, uh, which certainly Liberty has. And, uh, and, and so it's really not, it's not clear yet how that's going to be resolved and worked out. Uh, the ABA obviously would would like to um, sort of uh, you know force compliance on that, um, and uh, and uh, Liberty and and other Christian law schools obviously do not want to comply with that. Um, I think law looking at going to a law school if you if you do not choose a a, Christian, a law school with a Christian mission, a student is really going to face. A, an environment that is very hostile to people who don't want to get on board with the whole, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the, the sexual revolution in its current iteration, um, you know, uh, the, uh, this idea of radical self-expression and self, uh, self-definition. If you don't want to get on board with that, including, you know, preferred pronouns and really celebrating that you're, you're going to have a real challenge. And I think eventually, even in the practice of law, um, and I might just say briefly there, Rick, as well, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast might wonder, well, why not just skip the accreditation then? You know, why, why even play by those rules? Um, and sometimes you, you'll hear that the, the answer being, well, it's, it's, basically just the idea we we've got to have this federal money if we don't have the federal money then so it's really kind of a a money thing Mm -hmm. um and maybe that's true in certain instances but i can tell you with law schools in particular the really the only viable path with a very few exceptions the only viable path to become a lawyer in the united states is to go to an aba accredited law school and to be an ABA accredited law school, you have to comply with the ABA's um, requirements. And part of those include participation in federal financial aid. So there's really no choice. It's not a choice yeah. between are we going to participate in these federal systems? It's a question. It's really a choice of are we going to have an, an ABA approved law school or not? And if we're yeah. not, then our students can't take the bar exam in the vast. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, but, but so those are real, real challenges. Um, and I think probably the, the, the most dire challenge right now for Christian law schools, Christian law students, and indeed Christian lawyers, period. Are there any test cases sort of making their way through the courts at this point that's going to so test that? Yeah, go. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I was just asking if there are any test cases coming through the courts right now, they're going to sort of test those limits. Yeah, so not directly with regard to law school accreditation. Um, uh, so not for law schools specifically, and of course not for the regulation of lawyers, which would be through the the bar um, associations. Uh, probably the closest is is one of the opinions, or at least related to it, would be um, a couple of the p- opinions that the Supreme Court just uh, released. Um, and uh, one of those would, of course, be the the three hundred three creative. Mm-hmm. Um, opinion. Uh, so in 303 Creative, you had a Christian 
a web designer. So she she does a lot of things. She does some videos, some of her own art, writes stories uh, and that type of thing. And she was looking at expanding into um, doing this Christian web designing for, for weddings. So there would be a specific website she would design for, for your wedding. And um, she's in Colorado. Now, Colorado's <laughs> uh, already been made famous for the Masterpiece Cake Shop yeah. uh, cases. Um, and, and so, uh, she actually, she actually, before she went into that, um, that area, before she expanded into the wedding area, uh, she sued, uh, Colorado to get an opinion that would say that, that it couldn't be that their, their, um, uh, civil rights act, human rights act, almost every state has one. And it, and I think a little more than half the states include, sexual orientation, gender identity, include that type of language. Uh, she sued them for a declaratory judgment saying that it constitutionally couldn't be applied to her business. Um, so that went all the way to the Supreme Court. That fight did. She lost at the lower court and at the Circuit Court of Appeals. But as you probably heard, she won at the at the Supreme Court level. And the Supreme Court ruled that, and this was a First Amendment ruling, so it's mm -hmm. a freedom of speech ruling um but but what that ruling held was is that uh it it did exceed colorado's um uh power it violated her constitutional rights uh to require her to uh rep, you know prepare these websites for same-sex um weddings or you know for same-sex marriages interesting now, so I, I didn't realize that that was sort of a a preemptive lawsuit for a declaratory judgment that she'd made. Yeah. Um, I just assumed that like with the, the Kate case, somebody had come to her wanting her to make a, a website for them. So this was ahead of time. Um, yep. I don't know the law because I'm not a lawyer. Is that similar? Uh, of course, you have to actually have a judgment in this case, but is it similar to how someone might file an amicus brief to try to get um, the court, you know, on their side where we're with you on this or something along those lines? Yeah. They're, uh, they're probably, uh, I guess, uh, maybe tangentially related. Now, an amicus brief is actually that's a that's a short for the Latin phrase, which means friend of the court. So you're coming in as a friend of the court. You're not actually a party uh, to the lawsuit in that instance. You're okay. coming in as a as a friend of the court to advocate for your position. Um, so an injunctive relief or declaratory judgment, what you're what you're doing there is you actually are a real litigant there. And there's a, there's a test for that, whether you you're entitled to that type of relief. And um, it requires a number of factors that aren't really important, usually a three-part test, but the issue is um, uh, you're, you're actually a litigant there and you're, you're getting the court to rule in advance because what she said, what, what her argument was is that if I go forward with this, then Colorado's uh, uh, Colorado's going to they're going to come after me mm. and just like they did Masterpiece Cake Shop, because that's actually the direction it took. Um, they're going to come after me and they're going to basically present me. And they, these are largely the options. Um, you're going to be presented with the option to uh, comply. So that means yeah. if you want to come into the public square and there's a number of these cases that have that have occurred over the years with differing outcomes um, this is the first time the U.S. Supreme Court has clearly ruled on it. Um, 
But if you want to come into the public square, if you want to do business with the public at all, then you need to check your deeply, sincerely held religious beliefs at the door, and you need to comply with whatever rules we tell you to comply with. So example in this case would be you got to prepare a website for anybody who wants to come in. Uh, Same-sex wedding, it doesn't matter. You've got to do that. Another option would be uh, you're going to suffer fines. Um, I mean, it's it's Orwellian. Hmm. Uh, one of the things they'll do in, instead is in addition to fines, I guess not instead, in addition to fines, um, uh, is uh, you, you they actually have these, I would call them re-education. You know, you can go to training hmm. to learn how to be more inclusive and to see the error of your ways. So, wow. so that, you know, you can check it at the door, you can suffer the consequences, whatever that's going to be. You're of course free to um, leave that profession. So you can stop practicing your profession. Now this one's not mentioned at the Supreme court level, but the other one in, in other States, the New Mexico Supreme court, for example, years ago in a, a lane photography, which was a different case that did not go to the Supreme court. In that case, uh, the court said, uh, I usually say banishment. You can be banished. Now, they didn't use the word banishment, but what they did say is you can move to another state. Hmm. So if your state has this law, you can you can move away. So, you you know, you're, you're basically left with the choice of uh, keeping quiet, um, leaving your your profession, whatever it is you're wanting to do or banishment. You've got to leave and, and, and go somewhere else. And, and they specifically actually I mean, it was. Uh, uh, stipulated that the purpose of this law in Colorado is to do away with speech that they don't like on this topic. Wow! They, they want to get rid of these ideas. So um, it, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable, really. And that relates to law schools because it's it and and really other schools that are accredited and and all kinds of other businesses. I think potentially even churches. It's testing how the Supreme Court is going to balance, um, on the one hand, our you know constitutional rights over against these what we sometimes people call civil rights or human rights. It's it's um, the the right to to say if you are offering services in the public, I, you can't exclude me for any reason. You have to offer right. them to me as well. Right. Well, so that could have major ramifications all across the board, then it sounds like. Yeah. Just from that. Yeah. And in this one, it came out the right way. Um, at least I'm 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 actually really happy with this Supreme Court term. Um now this I, I guess uh given that this is related to copper, I would I could tell you what I would rather maybe it be, um, because I think a lot of times the problem is the the government is doing things that are far outside of its jurisdiction anyway. And it would be better if the government just got out of that altogether. But since that's not likely in the near future, (laughs) um, you know, I'm, I'm largely happy with a number of these opinions. Um, And uh, in this one in particular, I'm happy that, that they said there, there's at least a free speech right Mm -hmm. um, to refuse service. Now, what concerns me, or maybe what's left open in that is what about areas that don't involve speech? So let's say instead of, you know, you're, you're preparing, um, you know, she's clearly preparing things that the, the court says this is pure speech. What about instead if you are, let's say, just a wedding venue 
and and you you have a place let's say you've got a you you buy an old farm uh you know out in the good area you fix the farm up and you're going to host weddings there this sounds oddly specific I know, yeah, that's because I know so many people who've done that, mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I know yeah. many of those that exist, and they don't want to, um, you know, they they don't want, it, it would violate their deeply, sincerely held religious beliefs to have a same-sex wedding there. Um, it, you know, it's it's an open question. Does that involve speech? I might can make an argument that it does, um, but so there's that. Then even so, let's say we move beyond the speech. Would I just have a on on you know a, a establishment clause free exercise of religion grounds the ability to say I should be free um, to refuse that that type of of um, that type of ceremony there? And that's an op- that's an open question. I mean that's that's left open. But I can tell you that doesn't look as strong to a lot of people, uh, me included. Um, as as if you can tie it to speech, if you can tie it to speech, you're you're probably going to have a greater likelihood of yeah. success. So it seems like with this particular Supreme Court, though, um, things have been going really well. Yeah. <laughs> Last June, we had the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And this June we had several of these cases that came out good in ways we like. Uh, it's almost like, you know, Clarence Thomas is uh, Santa Claus and we're getting Christmas in June every year, you know, who knows what we'll get next year. Um, Very true. So so, uh, would you like to talk about while we have time, any of these other cases that have come through? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so a couple, a few other big cases that, that I uh, had some interest in and looked at probably a lot of people did. Uh, So one of those was Biden v. Nebraska. Um, So that, that is, you might say is the student loan forgiveness plan case um so probably everybody knows now the the secretary of education um and of course uh the biden administration's direction uh adopted this uh student plan for student loan forgiveness there were various estimates of um you know (laughs) excuse me how much what that would actually end up costing by the time it it it's got to the Supreme Court, at least based on the people who had applied for forgiveness and looked like they qualified, the Supreme Court was saying that this plan would cost about four hundred and thirty billion dollars, so almost a half a trillion dollars, and this is something, of course, that um, uh, the Democrats have been unable to push through Congress, um, and this is something that that. Biden had made as a campaign promise. They've been unable to push it through Congress. And so they turned to the administrative uh, agency. So this this is really an administrative state case. And I think the administrative state, the regulatory state, is one of the biggest threats to our liberties that exist. Really, you know, this the even the case we're talking about with 303 Creative, a lot of times these are administrative agencies. Masterpiece Cake Shop involved an administrative agency in Colorado. So these administrative agencies have such broad, unchecked power. And this one, I mean, this this one was stupendously big. Um, I'm, I, $430 billion is an astronomical amount of money. Right. And um, so the Supreme Court ended up uh, ended up taking this case. A lot of people were afraid it would fail on standing. That's basically the idea. You have to have a real controversy. So if you don't have a real controversy, courts don't just decide 
um, opinions just to just to tell you what the law is. We we our system is an adversarial system. We want a real controversy going on with parties on both sides who are both arguing, and we think that's the best way to arrive at the truth. So so courts don't make advisory opinions is what they usually say. We don't just advise you on what the law is. Um, so uh, but th they overcame the standing issue in part because um, Missouri had a state corporation uh, that that administered some of these loans. And so by mm -hmm. those loans being forgiven, they had suffered a harm because they weren't going to get the fees from administering it. So that was really the kind of the hook <laughs> that got the argument there, you know, that, mm -hmm. but the, really the argument was about the, the scope of the authority of the executive branch and ex specifically these administrative agencies. Yeah. And that opinion turned out uh, uh, fantastic. Now this would be another example. I don't think the federal government should be in the business of making student loans, period. I, yeah. I don't see where, Biblically, you know, the government has the authority to run student lending programs or, you know, anything like that. I don't see biblically where you find any authority or jurisdiction for the government to do that. But that's not going away anytime soon. Um, so in in lot of that, I, I mean, it's a it's it's a great victory uh, for the for the Supreme Court to tell uh, the uh, secretary of education you know, you, you don't have, and they, they did so really unequivocally, they, that you don't have this type of authority uh, to enact a program like this, uh, that, that has to go through Congress. Now, that was a six to three decision. So there was a, the, the liberal justices uh, dissented from that. They would have let this go forward. Um, but yeah, great. I mean, came out the right way. Yeah. Um, exactly what we would want again if we can't get you know a perfect biblical republic <laughs> I, I think this is one of the reasons we need christians in the law because yeah. i've met some guys they read a little rush Dooney, they get into theonomy and they have this perfect system built up in their head yep. where if we could refound america today and they and they alone by themselves got to write every document we would have a perfect system yeah, <laughs> but then they I, have I nowhere to you. go when it comes to okay. But here's where we are. What can we do right now? Practically, we're not going to overthrow the government. We're not going to, yep. you know, we have what we have. <laughs> what do we do? So I think this is good stuff here. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that, Rick. And I'm and and you know we we know each other well. Are good friends. I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a Rush Dooney fan. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Bonson right. fan, but I, I think you're exactly right that um, and it really shows up in a, in a few different ways. I mean, one way that it shows up is is this idea that we've sort of got to have an all or nothing. So if mm -hmm. we can't eliminate the Department of Education, you know, then nothing is a victory. Um, yeah. But that, that's typically just, you know, I, I tend to think of it as sort of like the kingdom of God period. It's leaven mm -hmm. and it works through the lump. And we should really be content to see some of these things work out um, over time and be able to celebrate God's goodness to us on the way yeah. there. Um, you know, to take take the Dobbs opinion, I would have loved for the Supreme Court to have declared that there's a right to life for the unborn. Right. Yeah. Therefore, no abortions, you know, that that because that's depriving the the unborn of the right to life. But but in hoping for that and not getting it. Okay. I understand. We knew we weren't going to get that, but you know, that there's still a great victory there. 
Um, right. And so I'm content to to see some of these things unfold over time. Right. And, yeah. and I did talk to a couple of uh, sort of really hardcore abortion abolitionists who were not excited yeah. about that decision. Yep. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is one of the greatest things that's happened in 40 years, right? 50 oh, years. I mean, I, I, never, I, mean, I, mean, I honestly for. thought we'd never see it. Exactly. I, I really did. I thought we would never see this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I agree. And I understand the desire sort of for complete right. victory. I really do. Um, but um, but I, I think we should we should thank the Lord for these steps along yeah. the way. Of uh, we, we didn't get in this mess. And overnight, and we're probably not going to get out of it that way. You know, that's just typically not the way these occur. And I think also just on the um, the comment you made earlier about, you know, we think if we could sit down and and write it out ourselves anew, we would think of everything. We would get it yeah. all exactly right. But but I am reminded of the power. And obviously, this is coming from a lawyer's perspective. I've dedicated my life in a lot of ways to being a minister of justice, to try to see change in the legal system. Um but I'm reminded, you know, that that what's going to triumph is the gospel, right? Um, and and I, just getting a perfect legal system, assuming I knew what that was, and I could sit down and write it, that would not work. And I know that for sure. For this reason, presumably, the Israelites had a perfect legal system, right? God gave it to <laughs> them, right? I mean, he he gave them this legal system, but because their hearts were hard they that legal system didn't doesn't work now I don't, that doesn't diminish the importance of godly laws justice i mean part of Christ's mission is to is to spread justice over the earth but but it does sort of give us an ordering principle to say you know if if we if we are a rebellious wicked people even laws perfectly geared to us will not save us that that won't right. work um so and, there, and there's a synergy there. The law's didactic; it teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not saying obviously I've given my life to yeah. this. I don't think it's unimportant, but but I just think that you know the power of the gospel has to work through to make a people who 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 are willing to accept righteous and godly laws. Yeah, right. And that civil use of the law to restrain evil is important. Absolutely, but it doesn't eliminate evil. It just holds it back. Correct. It's still there, and imperfect yeah. men are administering it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, Rodney, we are uh, about five minutes till we get to the end of our time together here. Uh, do you want to talk about Groff versus DeJoy? Because that was kind of an exciting case, too. Yeah, absolutely. So Groff v. DeJoy, it was a case. Um, this is a unique case in the sense that this was a unanimous opinion. <laughs> so even the even the liberal justices joined in this opinion. And what that what that case was about, it involved a postal worker. So uh, Groff is a, he's an evangelical Christian, is an evangelical Christian. Um, and he's probably what a lot of people call Sabbatarian. So uh, you may have listeners probably who are Sabbatarian, some who aren't, but he really felt strongly, feels strongly that uh, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, so you should spend that day in rest and worship. And he even ordered his life accordingly. So he originally got a job with the Postal Service because he knew he wouldn't have to work on Sundays. <laughs> so, you know, so he's clearly taken steps to, to see that through. And then what happened is the Postal Service made a deal with Amazon to start delivering on Sundays. So he transferred to a rural post office that didn't 
deliver on Sunday still. Finally, the deal spread to there. And he was told, you've got to deliver, you've got to work on Sundays. Everybody has to work on Sundays. So he wouldn't do that. He was disciplined. That eventually led to him resigning. Um, he sued under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, to, to say that he had been discriminated against based on his religion. And um, and so he, he actually ended up, he, he won that case. So uh, there is part of the, the way the Civil Rights Act has developed. Um, employers have a duty to accommodate, make reasonable accommodations for religious um, employees uh, based on their sincerely held religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, they're required to do that unless it imposes an undue hardship on the employer. And so a dispute had developed um, in the lower courts about what the shape of that was. It had basically developed as a de minimis standard. So if it was anything more than a de minimis cost, then the employer employer could refuse to accommodate wow. the, the employee. And that, that's what the Supreme Court actually rejected. They said that it, it that de minimis standard was not correct um, and that an accommodation would have to be granted unless it resulted in a substantial increase in costs for that particular business. Um, so again, this is probably another one of those examples. I've actually got some serious concerns about civil rights acts, period. Right. Like I'm not convinced the government has the <laughs> jurisdiction to force you to do business with somebody you don't want to, or to force you to employ somebody you don't want to employ. Those are a given in our landscape. And so since those are a given, you know, this this type of um, a requirement of an accommodation yeah. for religious employees is, is another example of a great victory that could help us in other areas, because it does show that this court is serious about protecting at least some view of religious liberty in a way that I wouldn't have even felt sure about for the court maybe five to 10 years ago. Right. Um, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you on the Civil Rights Act, but uh, yep. didn't stop me from using Title VII when I was writing lots of vaccine exemption letters a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> you know, I like that. That's um, exactly right. Yep. Well, Rodney, yep. um, I wish we had more time to talk. Maybe I can get you back on here some other time and we can have another conversation. But thanks for yeah, being here and spending time and talking uh, about the law with us. Yeah, it's really been great. Thank you. Appreciate All it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye.